Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. Cold War started in 1947, ended in 1991. What happened? Why'd you pick this? And let's let's get into this, because this is a very historical moment on this planet. Yeah, this is a big, big story. So, so many books are written each year about the Second World War, and yet so few books look at the, those, those um, years immediately after the post-war, uh, after the war had ended, when really... The entire world is up for grabs. You know, the, the, there's got to be a new world order has got to be sorted out. And really, this begins at the, the famous Yalta conference in 1945, when th- the three big beasts get together. That is President Roosevelt, Winston Churchill, and uh, Stalin. They meet, and they try and thrash out what the world is going to look like in the post-war period. Um, and it, it, it's really planning. This, this sets in motion everything that is going to happen for the next, you know, 20, 30 years. General Patton warned us after World War II to be careful of the Soviet Union. What did he see that so many people missed at that time, Giles? Well, you... You know, you need to realize that before the Second World War, Stalin had be, really been seen as the enemy of uh, the United States and the enemy of Great Britain, of the West in general. Right. But then Hitler invades the Soviet Union, and suddenly um, he becomes an ally. And the allies, the, the Americans and British, find themselves fighting uh, on the same side as Stalin. The great question after the war was, would this wartime alliance hold together? Was it possible to keep Stalin on board in the post-war period? And, um, you know, President uh, Roosevelt and, and Churchill, initially, they very much hoped that this would happen. They wanted to keep Stalin on board, but it gradually became apparent that this was not going to be the case, that Stalin had reverted to being the enemy of the West. And, of course, Stalin was a butcher, killed millions of his own people. He was hated by a lot, but feared by many. That's right. I mean, he'd killed absolutely millions of his own citizens. He'd had the, the great show trials in which he'd killed his own people, his own politicians, you know. And by 1945, by the time the war is coming to an end, the Red Army has swept through most of Eastern Europe and parts of Central Europe um, and really is in control of much of the territory that Stalin wants to keep, hold on to after the war. And the Americans and Brits, of course, are still a long way to the west. They've, they've only just crossed the uh, border into Germany. So Stalin has pretty much got what he wanted wants uh, by the time the war is coming to an end. After World War One, did we not chop up Germany, or did we keep it the whole? Well, Germany had been, the frontiers had changed um, a little bit. Uh, things had, territories had been moved around. But essentially, uh, um, this is what Hitler exploited, building this greater Germany in which Germany was, its frontiers were going to be rolled backwards and backwards until the country got bigger and bigger and more and more powerful. Of course, in, you know, in uh, 1939, you have this bizarre pact between the two, the two monsters um, of the world, if you like, when Hitler and Stalin enter into an alliance, the, the famous uh, Molotov-Ribbentrop pact, in which suddenly these two hideous powers uh, are on the same side. But this is not going to last, because what happens uh, in 1941, Hitler takes a gamble and invades the Soviet Union. And this is a point where Stalin, he's no longer in alliance with Hitler, he's forced into the arms of Roosevelt and Churchill. So you have this, the, this most unlikely alliance of the monster in Moscow allied with pres- the American president and the British prime minister. And that could have been Hitler's biggest blunder in the war. 
What do you think? Well, yeah, I mean, what, what, lots of people have argued that Hitler lost the war the minute he invaded the Soviet Union because he just didn't realize what a big, you know, nut he was trying to crack there. And why, did, course, he, why did he do that, Giles? Because he wanted, well, he wanted to expand his territories. He had an eye on all the rich oil fields of the, of the, of the Caucasus um, and all the, you know, the raw materials, the, the valuable raw materials of the Soviet Union. And he thought it would be very easy to crush the Red Army. What he didn't bank on, as uh, had been the problem with Napoleon all those you know, years before, is the ferocity of the Soviet winter. And it was this that was really going to do for the, uh, for the Wehrmacht, for the German army, that they didn't get the swift victory they were hoping for. They ended up just outside the gates of Moscow, just outside the gates of Leningrad. And then the snow started to fall and the troops started to freeze. And so this was the big turning point for Hitler. The point at which one could say, although the war was going to last another few years, you could say at this point, Hitler had actually lost the war. I don't want to dwell on World War II because the Cold War is a very important subject tonight. But I do have to ask you, why did Hitler and how was he able to pull the wool over so many people before the war he had bankers in the United States, politicians. He had a lot of people supporting him. How did he pull that off? It's very difficult to um, answer that, but you're absolutely right. I mean, American money was pouring into Germany at this time. I think um, he exploited the fact that after the First World War, the uh, Germans, having, of course, started the war and, and uh, led to the deaths of millions of people, they felt hard done by it in the uh, eventual peace that happened in 1918. And Hitler exploited that. He was um, forever banging on about, you know, building this greater Germany, and people bought into that narrative. Um, and although one should remember there are many, there were many, many Germans who did not support Hitler, there were enough for him to uh, get himself into the position of absolute power. And from that point on, there was no looking back. And they say the Holocaust started around 1941. Might it have started much earlier and nobody knew about it? Well, it depends on how you actually define the Holocaust. Of course, the mass, horrific mass killing started at that time. But you've already got violent anti-Semitism taking place in Germany before that. You know, you've got the, the infamous Kristallnacht when all the Jewish shops in Germany were smashed to pieces and set on fire. This was some years before. So I think the warning signals were already uh, there. The bells were ringing, but people just didn't want to hear them. So the war ends. Who decides? Decides to divide up Berlin. So this is what happens at the Yalta Conference. This is where the big three meet in the uh, Yalta city of Yalta in the Crimea, and they are there to thrash out this new world order. What they decide, and specific to Germany, is that Germany is going to be divided into effectively split down the middle. And the Soviet Union, Stalin's Soviet Union, is going to control the east part of Germany, and British and Americans are going to control the west part of Germany. So that's, that's, that's how they split up the country. But then there's the prize of Berlin, the former German capital. What happens with that? Well, they decide they're going to do exactly the same thing. The, the Soviets are going to get the east of the city, and the Brits and Americans are going to get the west of the city. Now, it all, this all seems sort of fair and equitable and what have you. But there is one potential massive problem, and that is this. Berlin lies fairly and squarely in what is going to be the Soviet occupied sector of uh, occupied Germany. Right. It's right. It's right on the east side. 
it's going to be, it's like a little island. If you can imagine a little island in a sea of red. So the American garrison and the British garrison are going to be entirely surrounded by Russian-controlled territory filled with Red Army soldiers. Now, if they keep on good terms with, the, with Stalin and the Soviet Union, this won't be a problem. But what happens if things go wrong? Suddenly, you have the, these garrison forces, you have the American sector and the British sector completely isolated from the rest of Germany and in potential, in, in real danger um, from, the, from the Red Army should things turn sour. Who decides to put up the wall? Well, the wall is going to come much, much later. This is not till the early 60s. Uh-huh. Um, but but what, what is happening in the immediate aftermath of the war, um, as the Soviets take over their sector of the city and the American and Brits take over their sector, and as the wartime alliance begins to fall apart, it's realized that there is a real danger zone in, 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 uh, in Berlin because you have the West and East staring at each other with guns and tanks in the streets. So it's a very, very tense situation in, already in 1945. Uh, yeah, and, you know, I was always puzzled by that because they did divide Germany, West and East. The uh, United States and groups took over the West part. The Soviet Union took over the East. And as you point out, Berlin is right in the middle of the Soviet side. So how did we get to, whenever we wanted to get to the western part of berlin that we controlled which is weird we control that city within the soviets control of the whole eastern section of germany how did we get through like they had uh, like you mentioned guns and soldiers yeah, well, we had to get through very good question so if you if the listeners if your listeners can imagine you're sitting on this island surrounded by this sea of red um, and the western sectors are in this on this island the only way into the city was by one autobahn, one, one motorway, uh, one rail link. Uh, these were the only links from Western occupied Germany, the Western sectors of occupied Germany, into Berlin, into the Western sectors of Berlin. Now, as long as that railway line kept open, as long as that uh, motorway kept open, it was all well and good. But what is going to happen, you know, what, what happens if Stalin decides to block those routes into Berlin? Suddenly, it's like a medieval castle. The Western garrisons, the, 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 the soldiers from American British, are going to find themselves cut off, isolated, without food, without supplies, without anything. And this is going to be, become an incredibly dangerous situation. And they say about 81,000 Soviet soldiers died taking Berlin, 92,000 Germans died. And we backed out. We basically let the Soviets go in and take Berlin, didn't we? Yeah, and I think this is a really, really important point to uh, remember, actually, is that the Red Army got to Berlin long before the American and British forces. And so, in fact, several months before. And this gave them several months when they were in the city by themselves, uh, without the Western allies there. And this gave them the ability, basically, to loot, to ransack, and to rape, untrammeled, um, unhindered by anyone else. Um, And this is exactly what happened. The Red Army, by this point, was a drunken rabble that came into the city intent on getting their revenge. It should be pointed out, of course, the German army had ransacked its way through the Soviet Union. Um, They wanted their revenge, and they took it, you know, um, in those two months before the Western Allies arrived. My goodness, they ransacked the city. They looted it. They, you know, Berlin 
Berlin was one of the great cultural capitals of the world. It had these museums stuffed full of the great treasures of Western civilization. All of these were packed up and carted off to Moscow. All the most famous scientists and engineers were arrested and kidnapped and taken off to Moscow. And unfortunately and tragically, many, many of the women in Berlin were raped by uh, these drunken and unruly Red Army soldiers. And apparently 27 million Soviets have died during World War II from all causes, soldiers and civilians. 27 million people. I know, and we, I think often, in, in, certainly in my own country, in Britain, and I think in America too, it's, um, it's often the, the, the sacrifice of uh, the Soviet Union, of Russia in the Second World War, is often overlooked. We tend to think of the Western Front, we think of D-Day and the great heroism, justified heroism of the Americans and British and Canadians um, you know, in Normandy and fighting their way into Germany. But as you say, millions and millions of, of Russian soldiers, you know, young conscripts, uh, teenagers like the Americans and Brits at, at D-Day, lost their lives fighting this, this terrible Nazi war machine. Your book, Giles, has some personality to it because you talk about a couple characters. One is Colonel Frank Howland Mad Howley, who was uh, the United States' representative in Berlin, and then the Soviets had Alexander Kotakov. Yes, yeah, so the city um, has been divided up. So you've got the Soviets um, in the eastern sector of the city, and that, that, their se- sector of the city is to be run by, as you say, General Alexander Kotikov. Um, in the west part of the city, you've got the American and British sectors, and the, the French will come in slightly later. And the American sector is to be run by this absolutely fab- fabulous character called, as you say, Colonel Frank Howling Mad Howley. He's to be the commandant of the American sector, and he is to run it uh, with a rod of iron. Um, he went into Berlin thinking that the Germans were the enemy. After all, this is who he's been fighting you know, uh, against for the last couple of years. But as soon as he gets to Berlin, he realizes, actually, the Germans are no longer the enemy. It's really the Russians who are our enemy. It's the Russians who want to take over the whole of Berlin, the whole of Germany, and if they can, the whole of Western Europe. So from a very early, um, from a very early moment, Frank Howley identifies... Stalin and the Russians as the enemy, and he will do absolutely everything to sort of declare his own personal war against Alexander Kotikov and the Russians. What kept the Soviets from trying to throw us out? I think, well, there had been this agreement at Yalta that had been decided that this is how it was going to be run. And I think in the early days, um, everyone was sort of feeling their way t- t- towards the future, really. And no one wanted to rock the boat too much. So I think they were genuinely wanted to try and have a go at um, keeping, the, keeping the peace together and remaining as allies. But it quickly became apparent that what Stalin wanted was domination of Eastern and Central Europe. And also, he already had his eyes on Germany. He wanted to take control of Germany. But to do that, he knew he'd have to force a showdown with the Americans and Brits. And this was a very tense moment to do that. I remember Cold War episodes in school, Giles, where we had bomb training exercises, where we had to sit down with our heads in between our legs under a desk in the event there was an atomic bomb. I mean, they scared the living daylights out of us, and we were just kids. I know. I, I remember, you know, growing in the 70s, I remember the government in Britain issued a leaflet on how to build your nuclear bomb shelter. Yes. 
<laughs> I mean, it's quite extraordinary. And, and then, of course, um, and many listeners will remember, you know, Ronald Reagan's famous speech. Well, first of all, Kennedy's famous speech in Berlin, and then, you know, Reagan's speech, you know, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Um, all these moments, I mean, from my, from my childhood and when I was a teenager, um, they, everything was really set in motion in these, in these first years after the First World War, after the Second World War. This is when um, all the tensions that are going to um, come out over the next decades uh, are set in motion in this period. Can you blame or can you thank Gorbachev for bringing that wall down? I think uh, he had decided that the situation, the Cold War situation, was no longer tenable. Um, and I think, I mean, it's a fascinating period, the Gorbachev, Thatcher um, and Reagan period, where the Cold War is really beginning it's, it's coming to an end. And, and, you know, you've got the Soviet Union in a state of complete collapse as well. Here's this massive nuclear power with almost nuclear parity with, with the United States. And yet it's a country that can scarcely feed itself. I think it was untenable for the Soviet Union to continue. And Gorbachev recognized that. And I think he recognized in, in both um, Reagan and Thatcher, someone, uh, people with whom he could do business. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.